Hello once again, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Drunk Friend Podcast. It's been a while, but as always, I'm Travis, and over there is Alex, who's in a fresh new abode. Alex, tell us, what's the what's the new digs like? Sucks. What? You, what? <laughs> I know you broke most it's, of it already, but... I know, yeah. Well, that's what happens when you move into a new place. Like, no matter where you are, you break everything. Because you're not used to it. Um, no, it's fun. Um, it's 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 honestly it's fucking awesome. But um, <laughs> for one thing, our garage one of our garage stores uh, stopped opening. Uh, the screen door of a sliding glass door came off. Hmm. Our furnace stopped coming on, and uh, Xfinity acted like we didn't exist. So wow. uh, other than that, we're doing great. Dude, yeah. Well, hopefully you got all the bad luck out of the way in the next... How long is your uh, mortgage? 30 years? We'll be fine. (laughs) The Xfinity thing was cleared up really quick. The furnace thing was cleared up like that morning, thankfully. Uh, The screen door is still sitting, uh, is still leaning against the (laughs) glass door. The garage door is still uh, not opening. Hmm. Uh, that's that's just me being lazy. But you just um, call your own landlord and your old landlord and be like, "Hey, man, <laughs> um, I guess I got a question." <laughs> I, 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 it's one of those things where it's like, I remember my dad being mad about this when I was a kid. <laughs> what did he do? Oh, he got mad at it. That's what he did. <laughs> yeah, and it stayed that way for 15 years until I graduated from high school and moved away. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny when we bought our house. Our old landlord was like. If you guys need anything, just let me know. I was like, really? really? That's really nice. It was. Yeah. But we did, we never ended up taking him up on that. But I was like, I bet that never happens. So, <laughs> Well, our, our, yeah, our old landlord has been super nice to us where they've given us an, a, basically an unlimited amount of time to clean out our old place. And uh, not unlimited, obviously, but like, you know, they're, they're being nice because we always paid on time and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, and they come over all the time and they're always lending us tools and stuff like that. And he says like, Hey, if you ever need to use any of this stuff to help fix anything or to build anything, um, just let me know. And that's awesome. Might take him up on that. Might, might do that. Might, I may do that because <laughs> well. I need to do it. I need, yeah, I know. I need to do a top spot. And I need to build some custom shelves for oh, okay. my yeah. SNES cartridges. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see. To be continued on that one. All right. Let's see if you can transform your old landlord into your new carpenter. We will see. Probably not. We will see. No, no. I want to do it myself. It's just uh, I want to use all, all the crap he has because I don't have any of it. Yeah. Well, you can then you can you can transform your YouTube channel into something more like a Bob Vila. Be like SNES Drunk's home again, and you can just be building stuff. Probably that's, not. That's brilliant. That's a brilliant idea. Build drunk, and you're just hammering <laughs> nails into your thumbs. No, I'm just getting hammered. That's all I'm doing. Oh, that's even better. That's even better. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk about let's talk about YouTube's. That's what we're here for. Uh, we released a couple videos. We're kind of back to releasing game specific ones, which is you know it's kind of the bread and butter here. And uh, I, it's I good. yeah, I I kicked off with some Time Lord. You know, we had John Riggs on a few weeks ago. He said he uh, loved the it. Lord of Time. Yeah, Excellent. Lord of Time. Yeah, not has nothing to do with Doctor Who, believe it or not. But <laughs> the, I tell you, uh, I I uh, I think uh, I don't like it as much as John Riggs does. That's that's for sure. <laughs> Um, and our friend Ren, the Renaissance, who's also been a guest on here, was streaming that mm. game right around the time I reviewed it. And he, 
in, in, in his in regular fashion for him, he kicked its ass like right there on the stream. And I, I didn't have as much fun as either of those guys, so I might be in the wrong. But uh, it's full of jank. And uh, it's it has some endearing moments in that it's uh, it's it's really different and weird. Like there's these orbs don't want you to have them. They really don't. They <laughs> they do everything they possibly can. They defy physics, and every rule the game has had up to that point to get away from you, and you have to collect them. It's jank. I would just time jank is what I would call the game. I would say yeah. I was gonna say endearingly jank. Yeah. I think it's uh um I think there's a, a fair amount of that on Super Nintendo too. Endearingly jank. Yeah. Um. Uh, I think Time Lord looks like it would be okay, like just based on what I see from your video. Mm-hmm. It looks like it would be. That's if I'm done with every other action platformer that I'm interested in. You know what I mean? Like right. this is like total middle of the road kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, endearingly jank is what I would go with, and that I think that kind of also describes the um. The next video you did, which is about Solstice, <laughs> and yeah. that that's one of those games where I can totally see myself t- really getting into it if I were a kid, and I owned it, and I owned an NES, and like that's all I had to kill time all day, every day, was just that game. I would s- get way into it just because of the percentage meter that comes up on the game over screen. Oh yeah. Yeah, that would be like, oh, I need to get to like at least like 80% before today and I would set <laughs> goals for myself and all that kind of thing, but Yeah, but and yeah. it's not just there when you get the game over screen. You can hit pause and it will come up oh, and show. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. It'll it'll give you that feedback. Uh yeah, that that's when I think it's it's definitely a better made game than Time Lord for sure. Uh it's got a lot going for it. The thing I don't I don't know why Maybe I don't know. I I think you can. I'm pretty sure you can do this on the NES. But they don't have shadows when you jump in the 3D space. That would help a lot. If you Ugh. when you jumped, you could use your shadow to position you because that's that's basically how you do it in 16-bit land. You use your shadow for 3D platforming. There's no shadow in Solstice, and it's awful <laughs> and it's hard because uh, you don't really know where you are in the room when you're jumping around. So Jeez. other than that, though, um, you know, 3D isometric platformer, good music. Tim Fallen out there just smashing. The chipset, just hitting it. It's good. I mean, that guy knows what he's doing for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it looks and sounds good. It's ambitious, but like you said, if you were in prison and had that, that was your only game, like all you had in prison was to just, you know, think of cool tattoos to get and play Solstice, <laughs> you would probably be okay with Solstice. I think you'd get some traction out of it. But if it's if it's on a pile of other games, you're going to put it down and move to another game pretty quick. You know, now that you mentioned Shadows... um, I'm looking at footage of Equinox for Super Nintendo. And yeah, there's no shadows when you jump. There's a shadow when you're walking. Not when you there's jump. There's no shadow Equinox when either? you're jumping. Wow. Got to have the shadow, yeah. man. That's everything. It, it It is, but apparently not to the people that made the game. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't much to them. So Maybe uh, in the lore, the characters are ghosts. That's how they got <laughs> I guess so. Only when they're in midair, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you you but, put uh, out a video. Um, you put out one on Tough Enough, and I can't not think of that song by the Fabulous Thunderbirds. Am I tough enough? Every time I think of that um, game, are you familiar with that song? Or did I just make a fool of myself? No, I'm not actually. Otherwise, I absolutely. If if you're talking Fab Thunderbirds, or, I'm sorry. If you're talking enough? Fab Birds, I, th- what's the song of theirs that I know? I I need to Google it right now. 
Oh God, this Damn is going to drive me crazy. I oh wow, s- I'm I'm at the uh, Fabulous Thunderbirds Wikipedia page. Yeah, and the past members thing reads like a freaking like like a menu. Like there's like <laughs> three thousand names here. Like what are you? There's like so many names you look for yourself on there. You're like, yeah, oh, no, no. <laughs> who hasn't been in this band? Am I am I in here somehow? Um, I can't believe man, you know, heard ain't that tough. Toughy. I can't believe that. I'm pretty. I think it's in a commercial for something. Okay, the song I know I think is um came later because Beefus and Butted saw the video for it. Oh, and, okay. Um, it was like I think it was later in the '90s or something like that. Wrap it up. That's the song I know. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Yeah, nobody knows that song. We're pretty good at being the fabulous Thunder. We are the fabulous Thunderbirds tonight. (laughs) Well, anyway, (laughs) wrap it up. I think I know wrap it up and tough enough. I will. I will give this to the fabulous Thunderbirds. Great, great song title writers. They just. (laughs) I was gonna say like I I thought it was going crazy when people kept saying tough enough, and I was like, I thought it was wrap it up, but yeah. Okay. But yeah, that game for Super Nintendo, it's one of those games where it's like a super generic one-on-one fighter. They needed it to make, you know, the cover art something different. So they made it like comic art, like Rob Leefield, Jim Lee kind of thing. Uh, looks like Sabretooth. Looks like every, I got a million comments from people saying it looks like All Might from My Hero Academia. I, I don't know who that is. I know the show, uh, My Hero Academia. I don't know who All Might is. I I've only I'm only have a, I only have a uh, passing interest in that anime. So I I I'm not totally familiar with it. But okay, yeah, well, it, it's not him. But it's a totally <laughs> generic one-on-one fighting game. Yeah, I mean, I I remember. I think I told you about this in our Discord. I bought this game at a flea market, and it was from a guy who could. He was just he just had games to sell. He didn't know anything about games. I was like, oh yeah, I'll take. Um, I'll grab that Super Nintendo game, and he was like trying to connect with me, and he was like, yeah, ooh ooh, tough enough. That's cool, man. That's cool, guy. All right, five bucks. Like he was way into the name. <laughs> he was like, hey, this game must be based on the Fabulous Thunderbirds, man. That's cool, man. That's cool, man. I know them. I don't know why that that just I can't get that out of my head. That guy just really <laughs> trying to I like I'm already wanting it. He's still trying to sell it to me. I can see that in my head. I can see that scene. It looks like <laughs> something out of like Indiana Jones or something like that. I see the guy like behind a tent and he's got like folded blankets and like yeah. various leathers and books, you know, behind him and he's got this game. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just. It's just like that. It was just like that. You're you're not wrong. Just like that. (laughs) But then we got skitching. We got that road rash on on skateboards. No, we got road rash on rollerblades. I'm sorry, rollerblades. Would skateboards have been better? (laughs) You tell me. I can actually rollerblade. I can't skateboard, so I would prefer rollerblades because I can skate. Because I'm from Minnesota, so I can right do that. I I have that skill somehow. There's I think not it's a, just kind of in my blood. Yeah. There's not a flat piece of land for me to learn how to do any of that stuff on where I'm from. I was going to say, like, Virginia's too hilly. You don't want to skate anywhere in Virginia. No. We just but, we, uh, slay, we slay ride and then usually into a tree or something. It's it's not great for a lot snowmobile. of stuff. Or snowmobile. You guys got snowmobiles there? No, no, no. Too many trees, too many mountains? Not enough snow, for one. <laughs> really not enough snow no nah, we might get huh. uh, a good snow we might get five or six inches but that might happen once how how soon does it melt after that like within an hour 
Oh, okay. We, we, sometimes so we like will the get ma- the big ones, though, that will just remain as giant monoliths in the Walmart parking lot for a couple weeks. But, See, that's what I'm talking about. That's Minnesota. Yeah. Like, Minnesota, it snows, and it snows and snows and snows, and then it stays there. Yeah. That's the thing. The, the snow that snowed in November will stay there until March. That same snow will remain. But um, <laughs> Skitchen. Let's talk about Skitchen. Do people know what Skitchen means, do you think? I don't. Is it? Does it have a term? Is it a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. What do you think it means? Um, I, I really, I don't know. Maybe trying to like use the brakes on rollerblades because I imagine that's the sound they make is skitch. Oh, I, I'm so dis. Oh, that's actually a good answer. No, I'm disappointed. I, that's actually a good answer. Um, you're disappointed, an and you're giving me kudos. I'm confused. <laughs> no, no, that's a, that's a, that's an imaginative answer, and that's something that I could have potentially guessed too i was hoping you would say something about kitchens oh no and it was like a apostrophe s kitchen or something like that <laughs> like a soup kitchen <laughs> yeah like a you know just any kitchen sure gordon rams gordon ramsey's kitchen you know this, this kitchen. kitchen yeah could just be. a you know quick uh quick uh vernacular there but no this kitchen means just uh or uh, I should say, uh, skating on a uh, on rollerblades, or biking, or uh, skating on a skateboard, and grabbing onto a car or a bus oh, okay. or a moving vehicle and just hitching a ride. Gotcha. So that makes skating sense. and okay. hitching a ride. That makes so much sense now. Yes, very good. I I didn't know what it what it ever meant. I just thought that game looked strange, but it it sounds fun. I like Road Rash. You kind of you sold you sold it to me. It's hard to get. Um, it's not as accessible as Road Rash. Uh, you kind of have to get used to the manner in which you grab onto cars and stuff like that. That can be frustrating. Uh, it's not all that easy uh, at first, anyway. But mm-hmm. I got the hang of it pretty quickly. Cool. Uh, after that, though, it's uh, and plus, once you get flattened by a car, you see your guy go flying in the air like ninety feet, and then oh, he love goes it. splat on the road. I mean, come on. That's what video games are all about right there. That was my favorite part of Road Rash is getting up and, and finding my bike behind me. That was so fun. <laughs> right. uh, cool. Well, we got a bunch of emails to get to before our guest, so let's let's jump into those. Our first one here is from Dylan. He says, Hi, guys. I think you were doing a really great job here. I caught on to you from the uh, SNES Reddit from when Alex was taking a YouTube break and someone mentioned he also had his pod- had this podcast. Uh, started listening to it from the start and have been powering through the episode since. I just finished the one with Dave from uh, MES, and he says, what a hilarious guy, and we agree, of course. Um, so still a bit to get caught up on what is your current episode 33. So this is an old email. Sorry about that, Dylan. You guys are really entertaining, and I've started to follow a number of your guests as well on YouTube, like Pam, Derek, Dave, etc., and of course, Trav's Nest Friend. I'm close to the same age as the both of you, so the 90s music, sports, wrestling talk also hits home as well as the gaming. Question for both of you. Did you ever have a period where video games took a major backseat to your other interests? For me, from around 17 to 24, maybe a year before the uh, 360 came out, I didn't really play video games much, if at all. And while some new releases got me back into gaming, I eventually ended up focusing more on catching up to games I missed. I'm... I'm wondering if the, the, sorry. I'm wondering if that is similar for others who are in retro games. Add-on question: What would be the most surprising game that you have never played yet? Keep up the great work, guys. All right, thanks, Dylan. Thanks, Dylan. Oh boy. Um, where do I start here? Uh, jeez. 
Jeez Louise, what a huge email, Dylan. How do I digest this? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think with, uh, I, I, I kind of align with this a bit when it came to age 18 to 24, 25, around there. Um, I got caught up with uh, graphic design and music, uh, making music, recording music, recording other people's music, all that sort of stuff. I I wasn't actively seeking new old games to play at that point. If anything, I was still playing new games. Like, you know, I remember playing Age of Mythology when that came out. I remember playing Doom 3 when that came out. When did that come out? Like 2008 or something like that? That feels right, yeah. Uh, Something like that, but yeah. Uh, I remember when SimCity 4 came out. That was... Uh, remember, I, I just remember the games I bought new. Super Nintendo takes a back seat to that kind of stuff for me personally. And um, what about you, Trav? I always share that there was a period of my life, a very large period of my life, where I was just in what I called sports prison, where I mostly just played <laughs> sports games. And that was my thing. I, I I occasionally dabbled in in some other stuff. But the thing was, I didn't really have my finger on the pulse of gaming ever. I didn't have friends that were into RPGs or into the hottest and newest stuff. We were all just... Madden guys we liked we liked the NBA jams and all of that stuff and we played that ad nauseum so I was always playing games but I was never playing like sort of the uh historically important video games so to speak so and then through college I got away from video games entirely because it seems like that's a pretty common thing for people to to, to do have happen and so it was like 10 years ago I kind of had this like I went back home and saw all of my old video games, and I was like, wow, I kind of miss these things. And then I've started, that, that's kind of what why Polykill exists, is that I've, I've been trying to go back through the backlog and play the games I've missed, much like our friend Dylan here. And so um, that that has been sort of my quest in beating as many games from, from my childhood that I missed, and, and even ones that are out now, old and new. So I've just become more more interested in, in the medium as a whole, and I've kind of pushed sports games aside and have focused more on, on some um, things that are more interesting. So that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But when it comes to most surprising game that I've never played yet, uh, I think a lot of people will be surprised maybe to know I've not played uh, Super Mario World 2. I've not played that one. You're the NES guy, and you've never played Mario... Oh, wait a World. second. Mario World You're the SNES too. guy. Okay. You don't know what Super Mario World You're... 2 is? <sighs> Yoshi's whatever? Way to spin that back on me. Yeah, uh, doing what I can. Because I, I can say, well, well, actually, I consider <laughs> that game to be called well, Yoshi's Island. Oh, Yoshi's Island, I know. Excuse I know. me. I'm so sorry. That's Yoshi's Island. <laughs> it's, it's not so much of a Yoshi, of a Mario World sequel as much as a Yoshi game. Okay? Okay, okay. Sorry. God. I, I had to I had to break out Dork Voice. I love Dork Voice, second. and I actually would like, he should have, he should be an interview for us one day. <laughs> I don't think I could keep that up for that long. I, we'd, I'd have to switch between Pearl and me. It's it's her voice, really. She came up with it. I was going to say it's like that's what she really sounds like. Like not trying. <laughs> she wishes. Um, um, yeah, my game that I have never played yet. Oh, geez, what have I never played? I guess there's a shitload of like modern, like name a modern franchise, like Gears of War. I've never played a Gears of War game. Oh, those are pretty fun. Name something else. Like there's a shitload of like modern stuff I've never even touched. Yeah. I uh, mean, we talked about the Yakuza stuff that you've, you've been wanting to play. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever, I've, I've watched. The thing is, is that I've watched a ton of like videos and I've watched a bunch of streams of a lot of games, but I've never played a bunch of stuff. But it, when it comes to like, 
stuff like Gears of War, it's like I have no interest in this at all. So I, it's a total blind spot. Gotcha. Yeah, that's what that's what I consider that question to be like, just blind spots. Because I guess that's a thing now, huh? Where it's people, uh, if they're not convinced enough to dive into a game. They're just like, well, I can just go on Twitch or YouTube and just watch someone else play it and yeah. ex- experience the game through them. And that's cool. I like that that's a thing. We got, uh, yo, Adrian, we got, uh, I, I'm sure you're not sick of that at all, Adrian. I'm sorry, Adrian. <laughs> this person says, hi, Alex and Trav. I started listening to you at the beginning of November and I finished listening to episode 30 just now. I love that I listened to an episode entirely about running on your gaming podcast your content is so genuine and informative. Thanks. I feel like anyone wanting to start a YouTube channel or a podcast should listen to this. And if they were not wanting to do that, they might after listening to Drunk Friend. Well, don't That's tell kind us. Of the tell idea. everyone else. That's... <laughs> but yeah no, we don't you, want Adrian. the competition oh that's true but i just mean you know get people get people in here man I, we appreciate that yeah. Adrian. that's nice yeah i like that though okay but uh they go on to say i don't know if you have any christmas or holiday season specific plans for a podcast episode but my question is what were your best and worst experiences slash choices with video game presents you received or got yourselves for christmas for example One of my best memories was getting Mario Paint for the SNES. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I did not know what it was at the time, but I found it in my parents' closet about a week before... uh, About a week before Christmas, and I sneakily brought it to my room and tried it and was blown away. (laughs) That's very sneaky. I continued to play it every day and would put it back carefully before my parents came home (laughs) from work, and they never found out. Well, they found out now because they're listening to this podcast. You just shared it with them, Adrian. Look what you did. (laughs) I still was thrilled on Christmas Day, and that game remained forever a staple in my gaming life since. Conversely, years later, I was so excited to ask Santa for 007, the world is not enough for the N64, naively thinking it'd be an even better entry than GoldenEye, and who Hmm. wouldn't think that? Needless to say, I don't think I even played it on Christmas Day. (laughs) (laughs) And I ended up selling it a couple of months later to a friend and felt like I could have done so much better picking a game. Anyway, sorry for the long question. Would love to hear your answers. Keep up the good work. Yeah, I have a good one. I have a good answer. I, uh, for some reason, in looking at the Sears catalog as a kid, which was a thing back in the day, and uh, making my wish list for my parents, for some fucking reason, I wanted a Tiger Gamecom. I don't know why. Probably because it had internet capability, and that seemed like a crazy thing to have in whatever, 1997. And it came with uh, Lights Out and an Indy 500 game. And it's just dog's ass. It's garbage. <laughs> I still have it. The hell is lights out? Yeah, you, you act like that's a, like a common. Well, it came with lights out. It, it, that what was like the lights big out? thing. Lights out. There was like a lot of just like dedicated handheld games for lights out, like a bop it. You know, like it was just a a, a grid of lights, and you you pushed uh, the squares until you got the whole thing to either light up or not light up. So it was kind of one of those like, you know. Whatever was adjacent to the light square, you pushed it and it would change the ones near it and you had to kind of figure out how to puzzle through it. I mean, it's not good. You shouldn't have made me explain it. Now it sounds worse. (laughs) Well, it's 
You're putting it on the level of Bop It. I mean, you're putting it on a pantheon that uh, <laughs> maybe it, it should not be on. Yeah, uh, it's fair. But... I, I, if, I, if I'm putting Bop It on the toy pantheon, I'm putting it pretty high. But uh, Lights Out, I never heard of Lights Out. It's going pretty low. No, you're right. But, you're, uh, you'd be right to do that, actually. I mean, you can yeah, bop t- a Lights Out, though. That's the thing. It doesn't do anything. But You know, it would be cool if... I mean... It'd be pretty badass if the TigerCom, like if you could take old Tiger games and somehow connect them that to the TigerCom cool. and play all the old <laughs> shitty Tiger games. I mean, that would be I cool. I don't know why. I just thought of that just now. That's the dumbest idea I've ever had in my I life. I actually like it because the screen, <laughs> the screen's actually decent for black and white. It wouldn't be as washed out as the old uh, Tiger Tiger handhelds. I think you're onto something, buddy. I think you're on to something. They're, they make like a special cable to like leach out the black <laughs> ink or whatever it's in yeah. there. <laughs> Put it in the, in the Tiger Com. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. But yeah, that was my Christmas boo-boo way back in the day. There are some Tiger games I genuinely enjoy, by the way. Like I had bowling. I had football. I had skeet shoot. It had the little dial on the right side. It was really cool. Nice. What else did I? I usually played my brother's stuff. He had Simon's Quest. Oh, that's Tiger cool. Heli. Uh, he had a couple others. I can't remember. But those are fancy yeah. ones. I didn't know those existed. Yeah, no. Yeah, he had some nice ones, um, but they were shit. <laughs> I mean, they they, they, were, they aged incredibly horribly. Mine. Uh, I, I've told this story before, either on the podcast or on Let's Plays or something like that. But um, I'll tell it again here, real quickly. I uh, did a game exchange with a kid in either fifth or sixth grade. I I think it was sixth grade. And um, I traded games with this kid named Tom. Uh, He gave me Gradius 3. I gave him SimCity. And I sucked at Gradius 3. I was like, fuck this. (laughs) Give me back (laughs) SimCity. Give me back my SimCity like less than a week later. And, uh, you know, I was kind of a brat. But, uh, and Tom was not in school the next day. Coincidentally, you know, he was uh, under mysterious circumstances, apparently, because (laughs) when I uh, brought uh, Gradius 3 to school that day, I just left it in my locker, which was a bad idea because someone stole it out of my locker. Oh, no. Some dumbass kid. I'm pretty sure I know who it is. I won't say his name on here because, uh, yeah. I'm sure the statute of... of limitations is gone by now. It's probably it's, uh, a Cody or something. Oh, the Cody's. Cody? No, uh, it was a Lorenzo. That was so easy to get that name out of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say it. Was it Cody? No, it was Lorenzo. <laughs> no, it's, it's because I knew a Cody, and Cody was really cool. Cody was okay. a, like a good friend of mine. I was like, no, I'm going to defend Cody right now. <laughs> How dare you just slander the name Cody? Um. Yeah, no, it got <laughs> stolen. So, of course, the moms got involved, and the moms Uh-oh. decided that, uh, okay, then since you're responsible for getting Tom's game getting stolen, then uh, he gets to keep your SimCity. And I was like, well, that's fucking bullshit. So for Christmas, <laughs> I'm going to ask for SimCity, for Sim Earth. Oh, and my, man. And my, apparently, my parents were like, fine, here's Sim Earth. Buddy. And that was the worst punishment I've ever gotten in my life because Sim Earth fucking sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got your come Sim up, Earth I was guess. H- horrible on Super Nintendo. Oh man, that's that was a tragic story, basically all the way through. 
it's the, the, the sad thing is this i can visualize like every part of it like i can see the kid's mom i can see my locker i can remember opening it up it's gone you know that, the That's whole awful. thing I, it's, it's all still in my head but <laughs> but yeah um sim earth is unless you're like an earth science major in college uh you don't sim earth is not worth spending any time on because right. it's so complicated and so in-depth and it's like you get you need to know like how to do things that <laughs> it's like the game it's one of those things where like the game needs to teach you complex things and the game's not equipped to do that right 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 so it's just a waste of time <laughs> so fair enough yeah it's it's garbage but uh, between the GameCom and, and Sim Earth, I don't know. I don't know who had it worse, to be honest. We we don't have to compete though. Uh, up next, we have Carl. Uh, hello, Carl. He says, "Hey, drunk friends, heard you wanted more questions for the show, so here it goes." When talking about AAA games for the NES and Super Nintendo, there are many obvious picks: Zelda, Super Mario Brothers three, Chrono Trigger, etc. But what are your favorite AA games for your respective systems? Games that are solid but have one or more issues that prevents them from reaching the AAA tier. Feel free to interpret the AA quality as you see fit. Why don't you pick two each, Trav, for the NES, and Alex, two for the Super NES? Or one for each. He's like, do just do whatever. Just answer my question. Do, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> he says, I've been on an NES binge lately, so here are two picks from me. Ninja Gaiden 3, the Japanese version, solid game, and an okay challenge, but it pales in comparison to 1 and 2 in every way, but remains a solid game. Willow... Occasionally challenging, some solid tunes, puzzles are okay. Yeah, this game is decent, but it ain't no Zelda 1 or Crystallis. Crystallis. As always, thank you for the company, your Swedish friend, Carl. Thank you, Carl. Well, actually, it's Crystallis, because when you talk about the... You see the commercial for the game, it's Crystallis. Thank you. Thank you, disembodied voice You're welcome. Of, of You're welcome. Anytime you need me to come on, I'm, I'm right here. <laughs> Um, I like that. Guy. Okay, so do you have an answer for this right away, or um, I I think I don't know. Like I I'm just the way I'm thinking of it is are games that I'm just thinking of hidden gems. Basically, I'm just thinking of games that I think are good that people don't know about. That's the first thing that pops in my head. So if that if that the can, gems that are hidden, kinda yeah. Like obviously they're not they're not your Capcom's, Konami's, Nintendo made games, but mm. they're still decent. I think Kabuki Quantum Fighter is a pretty solid game. I think it's a solid. Yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah, solid action platform. It's got a unique story to it. Um, it's a pretty decent challenge. It, it feels a lot like Sunsoft Batman to me. But it's probably too weird to be mainstream, so I think that keeps it at double A. I think it's just a little quirky. It's the headbanging game. Yeah. So you get to you get to destroy enemies with your hair. Right on. Uh, another yeah. one I would choose is, is Rygar, even though it's an arcade port. I think that's a pretty fun, solid NES game. It's, just, it's, it's laden with jank, but it's pretty fun. At least I enjoy it. And uh, got some touchy difficulty parts, but overall, I think it's pretty solid. But those are just two that came to mind quickly. I didn't sit here and like, I didn't pull out the shelves and, and jot down a whole bunch of ideas. But well, why not? I just read the question just now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I would go with like stuff like the Great Battle Five. Um, I know that's kind of made by an offshoot of the Capcom development team but it's not technically it's not technically no. capcom here he is so it's uh yeah great battle five great battle four those games are freaking awesome they're they span uh gaming genres you got gallery shooters you got platforms all that sort of stuff super fun love those games technically those are super famicom games so 
they might not count to a lot of people, which is too bad, so sad. Too bad. Uh, your loss. But um, I guess like Magical Poppin, like I don't know who even ma- who even makes that game or publishes that game, but it's a little bit of a exploratory, you know, like really simple Metroid style platformer where you just kind of go around and you know unlock you know gain power-ups and unlock new areas and you know one of those things only it's pretty straightforward and really simple with some great pixel art yeah i was just looking up screenshots that looks really good yeah it does it's it's a really fun game all right carl hope you got your fill there yeah all right now we've got uh (laughs) that's mean all right carl hope that was good enough for you buddy (laughs) enjoy sweden Listen, I love Sweden, okay? I kind of want to go there, yeah. We got uh, Hector Osegueda. Oh, I'm saying that right. Uh, He says, love your podcast. I look forward to the new show every week. My question is with the presidential election happening this week. Well, this is timely. Yeah, sorry. What is your favorite presidential cameo in a video game? Mine has to be President Reagan and Bad Dudes. He wants to have fast food... He wants to have fast food with you for the love of Christ. <laughs> Gotta love the eighties. Oh yeah. Anyway, keep up the fantastic work. Yeah. That's a good that's a good cameo. Thanks, Hector. Thanks, Hector, yeah. I don't think you can get better than that. I don't have anything like how can you beat that? I can only think the only I and this isn't really technically a cameo per se because you're forcing him into the game, but I used to like to put in the code to get Bill Clinton and NBA Jam. I was just gonna say the only thing I can think of is Bill Clinton and NBA Jam. That's that's the only other yeah, the only other one that I have. I mean I'm sure there's more. And he's a badass. I mean, all secret characters are right. badasses in NBA Jam. They're all maxed out, but still Yeah. Bill Bill Clinton NBA Jam is the only answer. <laughs> it is the That's only all we answer yes all right uh very cool well thank you hector for the email thank everyone for the emails if you have emails uh please send those to uh drunk at gmail.com and we'll maybe read them out on the show later than they're relevant you never know with us <laughs> uh coming up next though we have a pretty fun guest and this kind of fell in our lap because if you remember our last guest michelle of pd's power hour her cousin just so happens to work for undead labs which was recently acquired by microsoft and he has some pretty fun inside scoops on the industry and uh i learned a whole lot from this interview i was actually very impressed with how it turned out same with me man it was very insightful very enlightening and i hope you all enjoy it All right, Josh, thanks for joining us here on the Drunk Friend Podcast. We appreciate you being here, and we really appreciate you letting your cousin Michelle con you into coming on here. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I'm really excited to be here. It's, uh, it's a, I've never been on a podcast before, so it's going to be a new and exciting experience for me. <laughs> yeah, well, it hopefully it will be a new exciting experience, and we'll, we'll try to make that happen. It depends on how um, perky Alex is tonight. He sounds a little tired, but we'll see what we can do. <laughs> what? <laughs> there he is. Get some life breathed into him. Um, so, Josh, just for our listeners' sake, please describe where you work and what you do there. Uh, sure. So um, I am an engineering manager at Undead Labs, uh, which is a, a video game development company um, here in Seattle, Washington. And we make uh, games in the State of Decay series for the Xbox. Awesome. And that, is that Undead Labs, have they 
What what are some other titles? I mean, is that is that their mainstay, or do they have some other titles before the um, State of Decay franchise kicked up? Uh, no, State of Decay is probably what we're we're mainly known for. It's it's okay. we did we did uh, a couple of years back uh, launch a different game called Moonrise into early access, uh, but we ultimately, unfortunately, decided to cancel it. Gotcha. Okay, so when it comes to State of Decay and and franchises like that that are big. I mean, what you know? These are, from my understanding, massive projects. Like I can only think of game development on a on a small scale in terms of like, okay, there's got to be an art guy, mm-hmm. and there's got to be a guy that that animates, and there's got to be a guy that does voiceover. But when you talk about like these big, these big, big, massive projects, how many people are working on a single title? Uh, you know, it varies, but it's it's you know often in the hundreds, um, especially when you like our studio, for example, right now we are about a hundred people. Uh, just in our our main office, but then there's always going to be more people involved in the development of the game, right? Like all the, all the voice actors, all the people at the um, if you have a studio that produces those voice lines, all of those folks, uh, publisher support folks over at uh, in our case it's like Microsoft um, or whoever else your publisher might be. Um, so the the amount of people involved in the production of, of a you know major title for a, a console can get really really large um, sure and is it uh, how, how is that all kind of managed i guess so i'm thinking like you have each you know all these divisions you all have like a singular uh, sort of goal or mission or directive for what the game is supposed to be or what your section is supposed to be and i mean i know that's sort of a, a big overarching question but from the outside looking in it's like i know there's people that work on games and i know games get made but like in terms of the how it's made the how all the cogs kind of fit it seems so overwhelming to think like where do you even start what's the first thing done you know um so can you talk us through a little bit about the process maybe even your personal process for how a game sort of uh matures beginning to end from your point of view yeah sure um uh, you know, there's that saying about like how do you eat an elephant, right? And it's it's one bite at a time, and that very much applies to projects at at this kind of scale and scope. Um, you know, you typically you may start trying to figure out what is the the central vision or the central experience that you want to create with this game, and maybe how does that manifest for a player? Um, you know, what sort of things do they do? moment to moment what sort of longer term goals are might they be working towards um, and you start kind of from those bigger picture ideas and if you have something like we do in state of decay where we have this sort of this this franchise that we're trying to grow you think about how um, your game might fit into where you want that franchise to grow um, how you maybe want to expand your audience and all of those sorts of things. Uh, not all of which I'm necessarily good at, uh, mind you. These are just things I have observed other people doing. <laughs> and then, so once you have that kind of big picture sort of stuff kind of roughly in place, you can start to kind of pick off pieces of that and refine it. Um, so you may have uh, someone or a, a team of a, a small number of people just uh, pick apart that like from moment to moment gameplay kind of thing. Like as you're wandering ar- around the world and interacting with, uh, in our case, the zombies and the environment or whatever, what does that feel like? What can you do? Can you climb over everything? Uh, what sort of things could you not climb over? What kind of things can you search for like loot or other goodies? What kind of zombies might you uh, 
you know, encounter in the world. And then you can refine parts of that even further. Like, how might you uh, fight those zombies? Do they all kind of gang up on you on at once? Or they do that kind of, like, combat circle thing where maybe only one or two of them will engage you at a time so you have a bit of a fighting chance kind of thing. So it must be weird in terms of, like, a fantasy game or, in your case, like, a zombie game where you get to invent your own physics and invent your own uh, mythology, so to speak, where it's like... There, there are no set rules that already exist that you have to follow. You, you can just make up whatever you want to do. Um, that must be kind of work in and of itself, I'm sure. It goes, you know, it's fun to think about, but then it comes the logistics and all the stuff that goes with that. Like, how do we make this possible? What, like, I'm trying to think of games like Katamari Damacy. You know, this goes way back to, like, PS2 days of early 2000s and stuff, and it's like... Yeah, you know, you're a ball and you're rolling around a, a, as a tiny little thing, rolling up paper clips, and then you build up to the point where you're rolling up buildings and stuff like that. And it's insane. And it's like, how do you think of something like that? And how do you build it to a point where it makes sense on certain scales? So I'm just wondering, like, when it comes to something like State of Decay, does <laughs> it seems pretty focused, obviously, but uh, have, you ever <laughs> have you ever decided to be like, I, I I mean I I can't ask you personally, but there must be some. T- I, I I just want to say like there must be some temptation to be like, what if there were unicorns and they <laughs> like the unicorn horns could stab zombies and turn them into unicorns? You know, some ridiculous idea like that. Like it must be really easy to go down that path. Am I wrong or is that? No, it 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 can be, and it it especially can be. I think. Um... When it when you're early on in the development of like uh, the world, right? Uh, when you've decided like I'm going to make a zombie game, then you have that huge possibility space in front of you, right? Like, wh- okay, well, what kind of zombies are they? Like the really slow kind, or are they all really fast? How do they look? What are they? You know, are there unicorns in this world that you can, you know, <laughs> <laughs> give me Terminator zombies? Yeah, you have you have no. Um, no constraints, which is great, but it also means like you can really easily uh, create lots of internal inconsistencies. Um, I, I imagine I'm I'm not a writer, but um, I, I imagine this can be a similar challenge to like people who write uh, you know big fiction novels, you know fiction series and all that sort of stuff uh, can run into where they have um, all this stuff they have to keep track of in their head so that the world has that kind of consistency. And so we you know sort of solve that problem by uh, hiring folks to do that, uh, among some other things, but like we, we have a narrative director, and, and part of their job is to make sure that um, things that we do are either consistent with uh, sort of franchise lore that we have established in the past, or like we're okay with kind of going off in this new direction um, and maybe building towards something else and kind of being a, a key decision maker in those sorts of uh, decisions. I think that's really interesting, and, and this is kind of leading to a, a question that I've had, which is especially as a part of these bigger teams, and you talked about you have a director, and certainly you you have uh, something to go on, uh, but how much autonomy do you really have, and sort of where does that direction come from? Uh, it's it, it depends a lot with, I think, I mean, a lot of factors, but one of the big ones is like the size of the studio. When we were a much smaller team of like 20 or 30 people, um, it was a lot easier for everyone to have uh, significantly more agency and input in 
in a lot more of the decisions that mm-hmm. went into the game, not just creatively in terms of the story or the gameplay sort of game design, but also technically, like as as programmers, which is which is uh, sort of the, the discipline that I come from is is programming. Um, as you get a little bigger, that that starts to become uh, a problem because you can create a sort of too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing. Um, and right. so instead, you have to think about how do you build as sort of a you know corporate structure or or whatever. Yeah. How do you build um, sort of decision making hierarchy into your company culture, but also Ugh. yeah, <laughs> but but also <laughs> like you want everyone to feel like they have agency that they're they're part of the thing that they're making, and so you also need to think about how can you build feedback mechanisms into that so that everyone can at least feel like they have a voice. Like, I think it's important for people to understand that you, not everyone can be a decision maker on every possible call, but for the most part, everyone should at least be able to let their opinion be heard, let their thoughts on, on any given matter uh, you know, be heard and processed. Sure, and that's a great point, and I was going to ask you about the level of bureaucracy in larger studios where it becomes like, have you run into situations where it ends up becoming uh, more of a politicking game of like, oh, I need to please this person with this idea. Then I can really butter them up with something else. And then I can move up and become a more important decision maker. How much, how much of that have you seen? If, if any at all, um, a lot of it. It's not always bad per se. Uh, like like the ability to make friends and influence people um, can sure. be useful because like it 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 helps to build trust and that's great. Uh, so so building trust is is a good goal for that kind of thing. But yeah, when you get to the point where it it starts to become like um, devious. Or, yeah, like that's more important than the game itself. Yes, yeah, yeah. When like I want to, I want to, you know, make all these decisions and make all these political move maneuvers to sort of protect the little area of um, game design or area of of the code that I kind of own. Yeah, that can be um, kind of toxic, uh, and you definitely have to watch out for when that can start to happen in a company and try and take steps to address it. Sure. And that the reason I bring that up is because I work at a community college and even there it's, you know, you get, you get the people that want to move up and that's all they care about is just moving up and getting promoted and all that sort of stuff. And when you think about working for a, making a video game and make being a part of that team, you think of uh Millhouse at the cracker factory and that episode of the Simpsons where he's like, wow. And it's, you know, you get the, <laughs> that silly music and um you know it's it's like a wonderland and all that sort of stuff but it's really it's not all that different from working any place else it's just you know the structure might be the same but the work the work is different but the structure is kind of similar to what you might expect in a regular office yes yeah it's um i, I this might sort of uh, ruin the illusion for some folks but fundamentally <laughs> like like at least as a programmer right like making uh games writing software that is a game it's not that much different from writing software that is uh you know for a uh, defense contractor which, which is a thing that i did for a couple years in my career um you know there's hmm. there's there's definitely magic to it um but also it is it, it can just be a job there's 
all of the same, you know, good and bad things in any other job probably exist in a game development job. Uh, and it's definitely nothing like playing games, uh, which is sometimes unfortunate. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it is. Yeah, depends on what you're playing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I try when you know when I am playing a game and I start to realize, huh, this feels like work. I I try to put it down. Uh, <laughs> I, I do have a kind of like completionist sort of streak in me where I feel like I have to power through, but um, I don't always have that much time to play play games anymore. So I try and use it as best I can and only play things <laughs> that are super engaging for me. <laughs> yeah, playing like an early Dragon Quest game and you gotta like, nope, I'm not gonna skip battles. I'm gonna keep going. <laughs> Old school cartridge. And it's like, okay, this is work at this point. Yes. Right on. So yeah, you mentioned you, you did some some work for like a defense contractor in your career and that you've you've been with um Undead Labs here for the last bit, but your your career spans much much further than that. Sort of maybe chronicle like where you started and some other games that you've worked on because I, I know you've you've worked on some pretty um or some other titles that I think a lot of people would would recognize. Okay, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, I I graduated uh, from the DigiPen Institute of Technology here in Seattle um, around 2005, and my first job in the industry was actually way back on the on the East Coast at a company called Big Huge Games. Um, and yeah, it was a great name. Um, I worked on a game, on a, a real-time strategy game there called uh, Rise of Legends, which is a, was a sort of like spiritual successor to uh, Rise of Nations, the thing that they had produced before. Uh, which hey, was, I played that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was super popular. Rise of Nations, I think, uh, did better than Rise of Legends did. It was a little more well-known, got a little more uh, kind of traction. Yeah. Um, but so that I, that's where I started. Um, after that, I actually I felt burnt burnt out um, by the industry. I had been trying to get into this industry since I was like I don't know six or seven. It was like that was that I I made that decision back then, and I never looked back. Um, wow. So it had been quite a long time actually, and and you know uh, I felt like I needed to do maybe something different to sort of explore my options a little bit more. Uh, but I didn't want to leave the area though, and so. I just looked around for anything I could find writing software, and I, I found uh, a job at this place called Raytheon Solipsis, which is a, a subsidiary of Raytheon, um, doing work for contracting for the Department of Defense, uh, most of which I, I can't talk about, um, but it largely involved radar. It wasn't, you know, amazing. Uh, Still kind of cool. Spy movie stuff. Yeah, it was, it was cool. Yeah. It was definitely a really, like, eye-opening experience. It was the thing that taught me that, um, like, all through my college career and everything i had this sort of um uh, honestly a little arrogant attitude that like games were so much uh trickier to work on so much more complex and and whatever than non-game software and as as i sort of noted before that that turned out not to be really true um, they're both <laughs> it's, it's all hard in its own unique way <laughs> right so i did that for a couple years um then I I saw a job opening at ArenaNet. Um, they made they had recently shipped Guild Wars, and I loved that game. Played way too much of it. Um, so I applied for that, and I got it. Uh, and I f moved back across the country again, uh, and I worked there for five or six years uh, on Guild Wars Two. Um, so that launched. Um, and I continued to work on that uh, for a number, uh, I guess a number of years after it launched. Um, up until then in my career, I had been a programmer. Like, that's all I did was I, 
I wrote I wrote code. Um, my last couple years at ArenaNet was when I started to transition into leadership and management. Um, so I was the lead uh, tools engineer there for the last bit. Uh, what happened next? I went to I went to three four three next to work on Halo Halo Five. Uh, That's huge. You almost yeah. forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, that was great. It was the first opportunity I got in my career to actually um, work on a, a console game, uh, which was something else that had always like consoles were like mysterious. You know, uh, I had always wanted to work on one. Um, and that was also a little bit of a like, oh, actually, this is just a this is just a little computer. Uh, and actually, it's just a little computer with uh, like development tools that aren't nearly as good as as working on you know, building software for Windows or, or for the hmm. Mac. Um, so that was a bit uh, disappointing in that, in that respect. But uh, Halo 5 was still a, a really awesome project to work on. Um, I worked on the infrastructure engineering team there, um, which was responsible for handling a lot of uh, the build farm type of stuff that they did to farm out like big distributed uh, content processing jobs um, and sort of cooking all of the game assets into like their final optimized form. Um, that was really cool. Yeah, it was a really cool like scale problem to problem space to work in. Yeah. I was so going to say like oh, yeah. when you're talking Halo Five, how many hundreds of people are working on this? <laughs> yeah, Halo Five. I, I it has to be the biggest uh, biggest project that I've worked on just in terms of of sheer manpower. Um, I forget how many hundreds of people were at 343 then, uh, but it was pretty sure it was plural hundreds. Uh, and, <laughs> and certainly, uh, you know, the, the 343 now has, has quite a lot of people there as they, as they work on Halo Infinite. Uh, and then after, after 343, that's when um, I went to Undead Labs. That was about six years ago uh, now. So I've, gotcha. been, I've been here at Undead for six years. And um, again, mostly as a programmer until the last couple when we decided we were going to do this thing where we have sort of dedicated people managers. Um, and that's what I do now. So now I don't write code anymore. I'm just mostly responsible for career growth and coaching and, and feedback for all of the engineers who report to me. Very cool. And I want to, I want to touch on that again here in a minute, but I, I wanted to, to ask some other questions here specifically kind of centered around something like Halo 5. I guess number one, like when you complete the game, are you able to like see your name in the credits after it scrolls for like 50 minutes? Like are you like, oh, there, there I go. Yes. There I go. Yes. That's cool. <laughs> That's got to be cool. Did you actually beat it and then like stare at the screen until you saw your name? Uh, no, I didn't. I, oh. so one of those, one of those things is like I, um, how like game playing games is not like making games is is I often don't end up being able to really enjoy the games I've worked on. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask about that too. So that's a good segue. So like, yeah, do you? I'm sure you you still play games, but the ones you work on, they're too too reminiscent of the day to day. Yeah, it's just I don't, I'm not quite sure what it is. Um, whether it's just because like. I've, I've worked on it for years and I'm kind of sick of seeing it or I've just been so close to it. I'm, I'm really curious to see how much I can engage with, uh, with State of Decay 3, which is, you know, the game we're working on at Undead now. And now that I've, I've you know, switched into this new role where I'm not like programming every day, uh, perhaps I will, uh, perhaps oh. that will be different and I'll be able to play it and enjoy it. But no, I didn't. I didn't play through Halo. Uh, I did watch a YouTube video of the credits, though, to see if I could find my name. <laughs> I don't blame you a bit. 
well let me ask you this though have you ever sat with somebody that did finish or did you ever hear from someone like like a friend or something like that that did finish it and get their feedback or did you read any of the reviews of halo 5 or for that matter what what do you take from any of the reviews from any of the games that you're involved with do you take a lot of stock in them or do you not read them at all or how how does that influence you if it does at all yeah i so i try um not to read them um mostly because it you know some of them are harsh and that can kind of hurt yeah um so that's uh that's tough it also because uh i think as a programmer um Often the work that I would do directly on the game doesn't um, it doesn't show up in doesn't too, reflect too many reviews. Yeah, like like certainly people will will call out things that you know were buggy and that that probably was my fault at some point, right? Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, and when people are uh, you know talking about things like you know perhaps poor frame rate or other kind of poor performance issues, that you can definitely kind of take to heart and feel like yes, yeah, I. Could have done something better there. We're hearing that with Cyberpunk 2077, like the past couple days. By the way, we're getting some like Fallout type glitches <laughs> where like you, you create your character, send him off, and then he transports into the locker, and you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> that sort of thing. It's always it's really hard to see those things sometimes because you know, yeah. like you know, you know, you you worked on you know, so hard to try and get this thing to, to, you know, what you thought was a really great, great quality level. But, you know, at the end of the day, there are so many things that, um, yes, we have hundreds of people working on these games, but not hundreds of people necessarily like with eyes on playing them constantly the same way that like hopefully millions of people will do on the very first day (laughs) that a game launches. Uh, So you have like a big order of magnitude uh, problem there in other words you can't account for every single variable and every single you know circumstance where if somebody picks such and such such and such such, you know whatever situation or circumstance they're in it might cause something else there are just so many things at work uh testing must be hell yes (laughs) i would imagine yes yeah testing a game uh, can be a very hard job it's it's one of those jobs that i think people look at and see and and see see it as like, oh, that must be so much fun because you just get to play video games all day. Hell no. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, okay, yes, but you might be playing like the same five minutes of the intro sequence all day. <laughs> every all day. day. <laughs> over and over. Trying to reproduce like something that happens yeah. one out of every, you know, 500 uh, uh, playthroughs and trying to narrow it down to like exactly what um, criteria was in place to cause the character oh, to yeah. to t pose and skate around or whatever. Yes, <laughs> then you get to document everything, uh, which takes forever. Th- this is coming from someone that uh, gets to do this. At I-, I do that at my job. I like here's an upgrade running for our software. We need you to try and break it and then document what happened and then recreate it in a meeting and blah 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 blah. It's like oh god. Uh, it sucks <laughs> so i can't with the, the amount of variables involved in freaking uh games of that magnitude even like halo 5 it must be i can't imagine like the scope is unreal yes yeah there's um a really great story uh came out a uh, probably a, uh, maybe a year or two ago at this point I, I can't remember but about um the outer worlds uh there was a uh 
Twitter thread, I think, that one of the developers posted about their experience diagnosing this bug where um, players were reporting characters just being dead when they, in theory, could not have possibly been dead. Um, <laughs> and it was uh, they eventually kind of tracked it down to like, oh, well, it's because the character is dying from fall damage, and that is setting them into the dead state when normally they wouldn't be able to, to do that. But there's nowhere on the ship that's high enough to for them to fall from so far that they would die and and then it goes on and on this like next the next level the next level the next level and finally they he gets to this point uh, or she actually i can't remember um to this point where uh the realization is is the cause is that something caused a character to start climbing a ladder but then never stop and so they would <laughs> climb off into infinity um and then and then at some point they, they would realize that they're supposed to stop climbing again and then they'd stop, and then of course they would fall all the way from infinity and and splat in the ship and die. Um, it's just it's just it's a really great story. It's very well told, uh, and it is a lot of great clear detail. And you can see like how a bug that looks kind of so simple on the surface, like a why is my character dead? He shouldn't be dead, can actually be caused by this very complicated series of events <laughs> that you just wouldn't expect to happen. Crazy, that's insane. And yeah. Do you ever um? I'm thinking of, uh, I didn't actually play it myself, but I watched my girlfriend play uh, Lost of Us 2 after that came out. And there was a specific sequence, I forget what you had to do, but it involved a rope. And you had to like wrap it around something and set some kind of trap or something like that. And it was unreal, the physics involved, and everything was completely consistent and I'm wondering if someone like you is, you know, you just have just a different level of appreciation for when it comes to video games, when uh, you see something like that and you're just like, God damn it. <laughs> 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 these, 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 they must have had 3000 people test this or something like that. Like, is that the case? Yeah, they're definitely, it's, it's usually, it, it's sometimes it's, it's things that perhaps like don't look like they're necessarily complicated, but yeah. are, are maybe related to work that you have done. Um, so for example, for State of Decay 2, uh, I did a mm. lot of work on the system that allows you to kind of climb over stuff, like climb over fences, climb over, you know, barriers in your way, etc. Um, and it was the first time I had, I had ever worked on a system like that or built a system like that. So if, if anyone who's listening, plays that game and has seen a bug when you climb over a fence or something. It's probably my fault. I'm sorry. Um, but it definitely gave me a new appreciation for like looking at other games and seeing when they have really well done, uh, you know, clambering mechanics. Like, oh man, they're, they're doing a lot of really great stuff there. Uh, I and, love that. That's uh, awesome. And it's, it's That's a thing great. That, that's like you're you're like one of those dudes on uh, uh, Antiques Roadshow. It's like let, let let's bring in the guy that knows everything about f 18th century French chairs. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like yeah, this is the world's most renowned expert on that exact thing, and he will tell you anything and everything that there is to know about uh, that specific thing. So it must be, I'm, I'm thinking it must be pretty fun to play video games with you because you, you're able to sit down and be like, well, here's why this is possible. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's definitely, <laughs> it's, it is a fun game to kind of like speculate, like how, how, how did they do that thing? Oh, nice, yeah. It implemented that thing. It's it's also sometime, uh, uh, it's, you know, perhaps good practice for somebody who, 
uh, might want to get into the industry as a, a you know game designer or, or programmer is to look at things that you see in, in video games and think about how how might that be implemented. Um, Hmm. Kind of think through to yourself, like what what are the things that they are doing? What are the kinds of questions that they're trying to answer? You know, in code, for example, about the world that will allow them to, uh, you know, understand. Like, how do you understand, for example, if a character is next to something that they can climb over? How do you even know what a thing that is like climb overable is? Um, yeah. In, in our hmm. case, we chose to rep. Like, there's basically lines. In, in the world, right? Just like start point and end point that represent these like line segments um, that are things that you can climb over, uh, for example. And there, but there's tons of other ways to do it. So yeah, that's that's incredible. Yeah, just thinking about it on that level, I can see why you wouldn't want to play the game you just made because you know it's so there's no magic anymore. You know, um, you know every rule about it. Because for me, I will walk up to any anything and even if it it's never like given me a prompt or I would it wouldn't let me pick it up the first two hundred times. That two hundred first time, I'm still going to see like maybe this one is interactable. Nope, still not. But you know, you already know. You there, there, you don't have to explore in the game that you're a part of. So I totally get why the magic is a little broken because you know it. I mean, obviously you know it inside and out, so that makes sense. Um, I do want to ask though, you know, you're you're you've been a part of uh, some big games. Of course, we you mentioned Halo Five, State of Decay One and Two, Three coming out uh, at some point. What's it like on release day? Is it a, is it a pretty big party? Is it like a big uh, giant relief, or is everyone on pins and needles, nervous for the reaction, scrolling through Reddit, seeing what all the hubbub is? Like, how does that work? And is it just is it work as normal the next day, or is there a break? Like, what's that like? I didn't actually work on the first State of Decay. It was just the second one, uh, incidentally. Okay. But, but yeah, it's it it. Um, I've I was still at Big Huge Games when we launched Rise of Legends, uh, and that was really exciting because it was like the first like this is now I'm now I'm for real a game a game developer right like mm-hmm. um, that was really cool, uh, but it wasn't. I don't know, maybe it's just so so far away. It's it's hard to imagine what that was exactly like. But I will say that subsequently, like like the launch of Guild Wars Two was a very different experience than the launch of uh, Rise of Legends, than the the launch of Halo, um, and and generally of like uh, single player games. Because um, like uh, uh, Guild Wars Two, the launch of the game wasn't really the end. Uh, mm. You know, we're gonna. We knew we were gonna keep building stuff uh, into this game forever, mm. right? And now, nowadays, with sort of the game as a service kind of thing, you you also kind of know that's gonna be the case, even if your game is single player. Um, but Rise of Legends was back in the the days of like, well, you you got to get it right because they're gonna press a million discs with this game, and <laughs> maybe you'll get to do like a, a piece of uh, an expansion pack. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. It was different in the days of uh, optical media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, day one patches not really a thing. So yeah. all of the all of that like stress and the the crunch that the industry is really oh, sort man. of poorly known for. Yes, uh, all of that is definitely right there in those those months leading up to when you take that build and you send it off to get pre- that gold master. Right, you send it off to you know whatever. Wherever it goes, it's it's kind of was always magic to me, right? But it goes somewhere, <laughs> and it gets sent out to like a duplication company, and they just you know stamp it on a bajillion discs, um, and that's that's definitely a little different now. You still have a lot of that anticipation 
going up to launch day, but you also like you're still working on the game because you're probably still working on the day one patch, um, or you're working <laughs> on the the first expansion, like uh, or a piece of DLC or something like that. Um, but it's also, I think, a lot. It is more exciting now because we have you know the internet and we have games that are much more connected and so can be reporting back a lot of a lot more metrics that you can look at and you can watch like like when we launched Guild Wars 2 we had sort of live graphs of of like player concurrency and player count and we had them all up in the big uh, sort of kitchen area in the office and we were all just kind of like eating popcorn and and, and watching them go up uh, that's cool and then also live graphs for how many crashes there were and when that spiked we would all <laughs> go back and try and fix what was busted yeah, I've always wondered that if, like, you know, when I'm playing a game and I'm like, they probably know right now that I'm in a loading screen or something. I mean, they probably don't know me specifically, but it's amazing how much information you can actually get in real time when, when, uh, well, with everything mostly online and, and millions of people playing data is such a huge part of influencing really everything you do. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are studios with entire teams of, you know, data engineers and data analysts and data scientists. Um, we have been, you know, recently building out such a team ourselves because it's, you know, all of those mm. insights into what players engage with and and what player behavior is can really tell you where to where to focus your efforts. You know, back in the when we shipped Rise of Legends, we wouldn't necessarily had have had a lot of insight into, you know, how many players there were like three factions in the game, right? Like how many players engage with all of them? Is there a faction that like basically nobody likes? Uh, we wouldn't have known that. We might have gone off and built like an expansion pack for that faction that nobody <laughs> liked, and that might have been a you know very poor business decision. Right. So yeah, so you have State of Decay three is what you guys are working on now, and and I, I know you are um you're not so much on the front lines of programming these days, and you probably have you're probably surrounded by NDAs and lawyers as we speak. But is there you know anything you can tell us about the third one aside from it exists? Um, no, pretty much. Unfortunately, all I can tell you that is is that it exists. Um, we're okay, really well, excited about it. Yeah, we're we're really excited <laughs> about the possibilities that you know it, it's gonna um, bring for us. Uh, this is the the first you know game that we will be developing since uh, Undead Labs uh, was acquired by Microsoft. Um, right. So we're we're really excited to have all of that kind of resources and that that broader Microsoft community more directly behind us. Uh, to build that. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it, and I think it's going to be uh, pretty awesome. So before we get into some questions that listeners have sent us, and I, I tried to pick ones that I thought that uh, kind of cited on game development and maybe ones that you might be interested in. But before that, I know you mentioned earlier you're a career coach uh, to an extent there at, at Undead Labs, giving feedback to, to staff and, and maybe even onboarding uh, new hires and stuff. To our listeners out there who are maybe interested in getting into, you know, the game development industry, uh, you don't have to go in, in great detail here. I know that there are a lot of obvious answers, but what, what's some advice you would give to anyone that's looking to to point their direction, uh, their career path towards something like Microsoft or Undead Labs? Uh, it probably the most important piece of advice is to is to make a game, um, and that's never been more accessible. Um, than it than than it is today with uh, mm-hmm. software like Unity and, and Unreal, which is not only readily available but basically free to use. Like they're not going to charge you anything until you're essentially financially already successful. Um, mm-hmm. So you can use those uh, software packages. You could you know 
teach yourself to program or leverage programming skills that you already have, uh, any of those sorts of things. But but just sitting down and trying to make a game um, on your own and seeing what goes into it is going to give you a lot of uh, experience and perspective, not just in actual concrete skills, but in understanding, like, is this is this really what I want to do? Yeah, and it doesn't have to be earth-shattering. It doesn't have to be your your magnum opus. Like, you can, you know, do you like, do you like Final Fantasy? Make a Final Fantasy clone. Um, I love Final Fantasy Tactics is one of my most favorite games ever, uh, and I'm this, this is a sort of shout out for Michelle because um, I know she I know she loves it as well, um, and one of the the games that I tried to make for myself when I was younger was basically a Final Fantasy Tactics clone. Nice. Um, yeah, it was really bad. It didn't didn't run very well. But <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So, like, when you uh, when people or when you when you're hiring people, do people nowadays come with a portfolio of of mini games or games that they've made to to kind of show their worth? Is that something that the industry kind of looks at in terms of a resume now? Some people do, yeah. Um, lots of people do. Uh, maybe not so much. Um, well, maybe that's not true. Uh, I was going to say not so much programmers, um, but they usually have programmers will typically have some other cool project or something they've worked on, even if it's not a game. Um, especially folks who are already programmers who perhaps want to, you know, switch careers from, I don't know, building finance software or whatever to, to making mm-hmm. games. But, um, yeah, and it's, it, it really does, I think it's, it's a great help, not necessarily even as a portfolio piece, uh, because for my part, as like a hiring manager, I, I usually don't look at those sorts of things too closely. Um, but as a, a tool to give yourself experiences that you can talk about in, in like a job interview. And really go into like, oh yeah, so I had to solve this problem where I needed to make characters climb over fences, and this is how I did it, X, Y, and Z. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. All right, thanks for for answering our questions there. But we have a couple more from some listeners. Uh, this wait, 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 <laughs> one more. Sure, so one sorry. more because I was looking at Undead Labs earlier today. You got Ted Woolsey. Yes, in your staff. Yes, I was so excited you, when he started here. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> have you picked his brain about any of his? Have you been able to talk to him or anything like that? Or has he met? Has he done any talks or anything like that about his time working with Square, doing translations or anything like that? Uh, so, I, I mean, I talk to him fairly regularly. He's our he's our general manager. Wow. Uh, but I, I gotta say, I've, I've been kind of a little too shy to like ask him, uh, <laughs> ask him a lot of details about about his time at Square. Um, but yeah, I, I yeah was... come on, man! What does "son of a submarine" are really mean? Like, yes. Why, why, why did you choose that for Kefka? You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's so many weird choices he made like spoony bard and, mm-hmm. you know in final <laughs> fantasy uh four or two in the u.s but uh yeah i i thought that was fascinating because i think he's 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 a really you know if i think if uh trav and i were to put our heads together and we were to make like dream guests for the podcast i i, I could come up with 200 questions for ted woolsey and they'd all be like <laughs> You know, the, the another Simpsons reference. It'd all be like the guys at the Itchy and Scratchy. Yeah. Like, what was what was it? The Itchy and Scratchy Q and A or something like that. I think it was. Yeah. Where it's like the the they hit the bone twice and the bone produced a different note each time. <laughs> <laughs> was that a massive blunder or something like that? 
<laughs> yes, it's I like, know what that, you're talking that about. That would be me, basically, with Ted Woolsey. I'm like, what were you thinking when you came up with this line? <laughs> you have to email Josh your questions, and he can report back. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'll, I, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> but now we kind of have a we have an inside track there, um, uh, Alex. Maybe maybe there's a chance. Ooh. Yeah, we got it. We got to pull some strings here. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see. Get him buttered up. Get him on here. Get him buttered up. All right. Um, well, people that maybe aren't as cool as Ted Woolsey, but are pretty cool in our eyes, our listeners, and that's Mark Holtzen. No, up first. I disagree. <laughs> he, he's, Mark Holtzen would agree. He's no Ted Woolsey. Uh, but he's close, probably. <laughs> he says, Not long ago, I heard a podcast where people discussed liking the Xbox game Chronicles of Riddick more than they liked the actual movie it was based on. This raises the question, are there any other licensed games you can think of where the video game is actually better than the source material? I just want to say I do remember when Chronicles of Riddick came out on Xbox, and that was one of the first, if not the first, like, apples-to-apples example where the game... it was, And that game at that time, if I'm remembering correctly... It wasn't just like a good game. It was like nominated for like game of the year and that kind of thing. Like it was really like a big deal. And the movie was just blah, whatever. Vin Diesel does things. Who cares? (laughs) But um, the game was amazing at the time. So um, yeah, that's that's probably the best example. But uh, since I'm a Super Nintendo guy. I got to say, it it really depends on how you define source material. Uh, If it's apples to apples like that, uh, movie to movie, I mean, that's hard to say. Um, But if you're saying just in terms of uh, one big license, then there's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles games. uh, Because I would much rather play those video games, like the arcade game or Turtles in Time or you know, any of those rather than watch any cartoon or movie or anything like that. But um, if we're going really... Also, I, I when I saw this question, I also thought about the pecking order, Matt, uh, and how that matters too, because, you know, Street Fighter 2 and Mortal Kombat spawn movies, but I'd still much rather oh. play the games than watch the movie. Well, there is Street Fighter the movie the game or the game the movie. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. True. There was there was that Yeah, Mortal Kombat was the first thing I I I thought of, uh, but I wasn't oh. sure if that counts because like that the game yeah. like but but the I really like the the Ninja Turtles one and actually like to make yet another callback to the, the whole like Michelle is my cousin thing. Uh she got that for <laughs> for me for Chris or perhaps it was her her father or someone, but for Christmas or something one year, like way back, way back then in, in the dark ages when we were kids. Um, that's how I got that, that game for the Nintendo, the original uh, nice. uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. And that was, it's a, it's a good game. I really enjoy it. Oh, I'm surprised you didn't say something like Judge Dredd or True Lies, but I, I don't know. If... I was going to say Alien 3. Oh, if that's... I had to stick to Super Nintendo, if yeah. we're going apples to apples, I would go Alien 3. Yeah, I, I guess I don't really have a, a great answer, but the only thing that really comes to mind is, um, you know, the, the Walking Dead series, the Telltale game. I like the game more than yes. I like the comic. And then that's independent independent of the AMC TV show. The, yeah, yeah, I uh, Pearl, my girlfriend, um, played through a, a bunch of that, mm-hmm. and that was riveting. Like, I liked that it. Was, yeah, it was really good. The art style was really good. Um, the characters are really well crafted and all that sort of stuff and yeah that was i i agree with you there that's a good call cool 
Uh, we got Josh Lopez here. Uh, I've recently dipped my feet, or he says rather, I've recently dipped my feet into mild game development at first with Game Boy Studio and now Unity. I've been going to school for computer science for a while and I wanted to try something fun and new. My question is, if you could make a game with the aesthetic of any console, whether it be Super Nintendo, PlayStation, GameCube, yada yada... What would it be, and what genre? You know, so I mentioned that Final Fantasy Tactics is one of my favorite games, so it would definitely be something with that. So, like, the the first PlayStation kind of uh, aesthetic where you could have these really cool sprite effects, but also a bit of, like, 3D stuff going on in there. Mm. Um, definitely that. Uh, oh, I don't know about... I don't know about genre, though. I like games where you can steal stuff. I like I like games where, where that, that let me live out apparently a, a repressed desire to be uh you know like a, a just crazy jewel thief or something right like Locke from Final Fantasy VI or something. Yes, no. yeah, that the the thief games. Um, I know yeah. nobody really liked the like yeah. the most recent Thief Four whatever, but I kind of I kind of was okay with that. Um, nice. I think I want another 2D Metroid, but I kind of want it to play and look a little bit like Symphony of the Night. Mm, huh. Yeah. I, that's... I just want more 2D Metroid, I think, Alex. I think that's what I want. But right I want on. it as good as 2D can give me. Whatever level of 2D is great. I still like pixel art. So I don't know. There's like a, there's a sweet spot for me there. And I just uh, – somewhere around the PS1 era, I think, where they you know they were still doing some some 2D sprite stuff. I think that would that would max it out for me. Yeah. What if they were able to blend – metroid with meat boy well how would you feel about that super metroid boy that'd be pretty sweet <laughs> metroid metroid there you go that's all that's that. brilliant <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can get down nice. with that yeah i'd go with game boy advance just because it's a super nintendo and steroids and if you look at games uh like a few weeks ago i talked briefly about on youtube about uh, star wars episode three on Game Boy Advance, and the sprite work in that is so smooth and so good, but it's got that 16-bit uh, aesthetic to it that, uh, eh, you know, I, I'm biased towards it, obviously. But yeah, I just want a, a really solid action platformer, but I would want some other weird elements shoehorned in there, too, like, like Act Razor style, where it's like, yeah, you play a level, but then you got a farm or something like that. <laughs> you play this, and then after you farm, you play a game of baseball or something like that. It's just <laughs> something stupid. Yeah, I love that kind of stuff. So, yeah. There you go. All right, Josh, I want to thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we really appreciate it because I think this is there's a lot of insights here that we've gotten from you that I, I know a lot of our listeners will probably really want to know about, and I've always been extremely curious. So, again, we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. This was really fun. Uh, I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. No problem. Hey, is there any way that um, we didn't ask you about this beforehand? And I, I don't know if you do social medias, but is there a way for you know anyone listening to the show could, to follow up with you or see what you're up to or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I'm not a big I'm not a big social media person. I do have like a LinkedIn profile, uh, so you can, my name <laughs> my name is Josh Petrie. You can look <laughs> me up on LinkedIn, and um, I will I, you know send me a message. I'm happy to to you know answer questions people have about the games industry sounds good all right everyone that's been another drunk friend podcast as always you can reach out to us with questions or comments at drunkfriendpodcast at gmail.com we might even read it out here on the show and if you want to hear more podcasts from our crew please go to polykill.com and poke around hey and if email isn't your thing it's no big deal but if you would like 
to contribute a rating or review on a podcast app of your choice would still help us out. Yes, and you can find us on social media. I'm on Twitter at Traff Plays Games. Alex is, of course, at Snestrug. And you can find Josh on LinkedIn, just as he alluded to. And as always, we want to shout out the show's theme, composed by our friend Coolor. The track you hear is called Electric Starbounce, and you can find a link to more of his music on the Buzzsprout podcast page. And we, of course, also want to shout out our friend Josh Leslie for our thirst-quenching logo. Yes, thank you, Josh. Thank you, Coolor. Be sure to catch us all on YouTube, and thanks for listening. And we hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah.